There was a grandmother, uh, there was a mother who was, uh, always had her kids write thank you notes to her mom. So grandma would get the recognition by the kids, and so she was trying to teach the kids to be thankful for the gifts. And, uh, but this year she decided she's not going to make the kids write a thank you note. They're old enough, they should do it on their own. Well, that year went by and grandma never got a thank you note. As a result, uh, uh, the year went by, and uh, the next year, Grandma has an idea. And then when she went to see her daughter, she says, all the kids came to visit me. Really? That's really good. She says, yeah, they came to say thank you. Really? That was good. And, uh, well, what happened this year? She says, well, I didn't sign my name to the checks. What motivates people this year? I, you got me. But as we think about this season, getting into the Spirit, uh, we want to have a different frame of mind rather than what we get or how the ornaments look. And so that's why I would encourage you, as you go into the book, uh, the good book this, this month, I would like for you to read and look at the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that's working behind the scenes, and you want to focus on the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, uh, as you read those passages in the book of Matthew or Luke, understand that not all passages are going to put the Holy Spirit right out there. As a matter of fact, many of those passages, he won't even be mentioned, but he is at work behind the scenes. And so as you read this season, I want to get into the Spirit to see Christ as the Spirit of God sees Christ. Well, last week I presented the idea <clears throat> that there are attractive Christians and Christians who, uh, we've talked about those who perform and are successful and those who are struggling and, and those who are failing. But uh, the, the idea that we want to get into is the idea that we want to be followers of Christ <laughs> where we know Him and make Him known. And yet, to know him and to listen to him involves a, a change that we imitate, but not just to keep the rules, as we talked about Thomas Aquinas on the imitation of Christ, was saying that there's a focus on the disciplines that you have to do in order to follow Christ. There's a, the focus that you have to go to church and you have to take the Eucharist and, you, and the grace is given to you when you do these things. There's a, there's a religion that's not the focus that we want to have. We want to focus on this relationship, why Christ came. And so, as we're talking about getting into the Spirit, uh, let me go back to the other one. Uh, we're talking about the fact that as we look at Christ as He is, so also are we in the world. And what that focus is, last week I introduced it, and I'm going to reemphasize it today, it's not about being living the Christian life. It's living life as a Christian. In the sense that we want to be followers of this one called Jesus, this anointed Messiah. And we want to become like him in the way he relates to the Father. And that's the focus. When Christ came on the scene, he was radical in the sense that he introduced to Israel, 
the idea that God was a father to him. In two times in the Old Testament, the word father is used in reference to God. Over 80, 82, 83 times, Jesus talks about God as father, 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 father. And so as we focus this week about uh, getting into the Spirit uh, and understanding the Holy Spirit, we understand that we have trouble sometimes when we think about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery for many people, partly because our history in the, in the Christian church, we would hear the Holy Ghost. And we would hear things that is the, spirit, the force or the power of the Spirit. Or we would hear things about uh, the Spirit is like the wind or like fire. Or, but whatever it is, there's an impersonalness into, into the way we think about Christ, or Christ's Spirit. And in some translations, they refer to the Spirit as it. And therefore, there's a lot of things that go against our understanding about how we even understand the Holy Spirit. Because we understand Father, and we understand Son, but we don't have this grasp of the Spirit is the personality of God. And therefore, it's hard to understand spirit as a person because does the spirit have feet? Does the spirit have, have hands? Does he, we, it's hard for us to grasp this idea. And yet, we learned in Ephesians 4 that he is a person. He is the spirit of Christ, and he can be grieved. And how we relate to him matters. And that he is emotionally involved, compassionately involved, uh, totally committed but sometimes it's a mystery. It's even a mystery for us because we don't even understand our own spirits. <laughs> we don't talk in that language of spirituality uh, because it's hard for us to talk. Uh, C.S. Lewis would talk in his first book on the spirits of bondage. And Lewis, before he became a Christian, would try to put into words the language that he was struggling with in understanding what was going on in his young spirit, as he was trying to seek out an understanding after the war, uh, he was really confused. And in the book, Spirits and Bondage, he said this, the land where I shall never be, the love I shall never see. There were things that were going on inside C.S. Lewis that prompted him to look throughout the literature. But in the literature, he found other men like him, like Ernest Hemingway or T.S. Eliot. And these were dark men, men without the spirit, men who were struggling with war, struggling with answers. It's like, this world is dark. Until Lewis was surprised by joy. And he wrote differently after he came to Christ. Well, this is what, what the Spirit of God does. He, the Spirit of God changes our spirit. And that's why in Ephesians 4, um, Paul says you've got to put off the old man and then be renewed, not in your mind, but in the spirit of your mind. It's the spirit of your mind where the Holy Spirit comes in and he changes your spirit in order to put on the new man and we follow in the ways of Christ. Now notice this. When you think about the spirit of Christ, it's hard to think about the spirit in the Trinity, but God doesn't... Um, compartmentalize. 
And so when Paul would say in Romans 8, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God, it's, a spirit, it's God's spirit dwells in you. But if anyone in the next line doesn't have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God is the spirit of Christ. They're the same. And it, it's the identification mark that you belong to Christ if you have the Spirit. Uh, Peter did the same thing. When his passage in 1 Peter 1.11 says, Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ. Peter knew him as the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ within them, inside, was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And so does Paul, again back in Galatians 5, 4, uh, 4 or 5, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son. And so to think of the Holy Spirit as any other spirit apart from the Spirit of Christ, how many Holy Spirits are there? There's only one Spirit. There's only one Lord. There's only one Christ. And there's only one God. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is one. And that one Spirit of Christ coming down has set us free. And he's called the Spirit of life. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's no separation. Because if Christ is there, life is there. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And the testimony of the Spirit is the testimony of the Spirit of life. And He comes to set us free. And that freedom, again, is the thing that we want to know because where the Lord is, where the presence of Christ is, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. Well, all of these things are invisibly done. And you won't see them. Because God works in mysterious ways and corners and of the world and times and seasons that it's kind of hard to put together a, is this God at work or is this me or is this so it's kind of a mystery to figure all this out but he is the liberating spirit and therefore Paul says I want you to be wise as you walk in this world do not be like the Gentiles Ephesians do not be like the Gentiles who are ignorant who are hardened in the hearts who are who are excluded from the promises of God, do not walk that way, he says in Ephesians 4, but he's calling us to walk in wisdom and knowing and discerning the will of God. And then in that process, one of the things he says uh, immediately is this phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to look at this again when Paul is saying, uh, we don't want you to be like the world. For we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts freely bestowed on us by God. But the problem is this. Often we are filled with the wrong spirits. Often we are filled with the wrong spirits. And this is the problem I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is very familiar with. With the wrong spirits is, is you understand that you don't sit around or grow up and choose to have these experiences that make you think about God. And somehow life as it unfolds, 
we, we are influenced by a whole lot of things in our lives that wound us, that really do wound us and leave us with a warring spirit. When Jesus came talking about his father, uh, and Jesus would reveal this relationship with God, in John 5, in John 5, he would talk about the Father in such an intimate and warm way. In John 5, 17, when Jesus said uh, to the man, in John 5, he said to the man who was lame, he says, take up your pallet and walk, and Jesus healed him. It was on the Sabbath. And on that Sabbath, Jesus did the healing because the Father was wanting to heal that man on the Sabbath. And so he said, my father is working unto now, and I myself am working. What Jesus sees the father do, Jesus does. And therefore, imitating God the father, my father is working unto now, I myself am working. The Sabbath rest for that man who was lame was being brought into the wholeness and the relationship of a health that's the rest that he would have on the Sabbath. It wasn't keeping the Sabbath rules. It was stepping into the very kingdom where he was free and liberated. And yet for that reason, the Jews were going to stone Jesus because he was one, calling God his father. But two, he was making himself equal. I do what God does on the Sabbath. That particular passage, Jesus goes on to say, you don't understand. My father loves me. My father loves me. I have a relationship with him and I don't do anything on my own initiative. What my father does and I do, we are so intimately tied together. And Jesus would often say, Father, I know you hear me. Father, I know you hear me. You always hear me. And, he's, and he would ask and do miracles because Jesus' spirit was tuned to the father. And the Holy Spirit helped Jesus as a man walk in the Spirit every day of his life, from birth to the death. Jesus was aware he had to be about his Father's business. And therefore, there's something about this word that Jesus would hear from the Father. And he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears me and believes me, he says, he has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment because the judgment was given to the son. And the son's going to be the one that judges. But the judgment of the son is the one of, are you related to me or not? But you've passed from death into life. But if you hear my voice, you will live, said Christ. I want you to hear this, he said to the Jew. Truly, truly, I said, hear me and you'll hear the father. See me and you'll see the father. There's no difference because when Christ was talking about this relationship with God, he was inviting people to experience the very same relationship that God had with his son. And he wants you and I to experience the same relationship so that when God would say to the son, this is my beloved son, you would hear that same voice, that reassuring voice. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. And that 
the way you relate to God would be identical or imitate the way God would relate to his son. Now that's, that's mind-blowing to me. The fact that God would love me like he would love his son. Isn't that what Ephesians 5 says? Be imitators of God as beloved. As beloved. You are loved. But the problem is, we don't have that sense that Jesus had because there are problems that are blocking us. And these problems that are blocking us are real problems. And the problems are the fact that we bring into this relationship that which is not God, but it's what we think about God. And so we have a wounded spirit. Let me tell you three stories. One's mine. Thinking about God as a father has been difficult. Always been difficult for me. Because as you know, many of you know the story. My dad died when, he was, when I was 10 years old. And he took his life. I could never understand that. But before that, I thought about my dad and the influence that my dad had or did not have in my life because I could only recall about six or seven memories of my father. And none of them, not one, had me on his lap. Not one had a special time with me. We'd go fishing with my uncle. And he set me on a stool. He said, you sit here and throw out this line. And he took off with my uncle went down the river. How often I would find myself alone. Dad would be somewhere, but he wasn't with me. The idea that I grew up with, God is my, like my father. I have a real difficulty understanding the closeness of God, the intimacy of, with the father, because my dad was distant, out of state. Absent. I'm not the only one. A lot of men like me grew up without a father. They're not close to their dads. Uh, you know the, the movie Horse Whisperer? Robert Redford? Do you know the guy that really was the true horse whisperer? His name is Buck Brenneman. Buck Brenneman had a father, not like mine. He had a father who was violent. Who beat him. And Buck and his brother... They were young, young kids, and they went on stage, and they would do the rodeo, and he was working around the horses. But they were famous little celebrities like Shirley Temple. But his father made them work and work and work and work. And, and if they didn't work, he would yell and yell and yell. And if he got upset, he would beat them, terribly beat them. So much so that when the dad's truck would come around, they would start to tremble. They were afraid of their father. He was a violent man. And some of you may have had those same experiences where your father yelled at you or did something that really made you feel like you were not wanted. Buck became a horse whisperer because he couldn't deal with people, but he felt the pain, and that gave him a sensitivity to animals. There's another man in Ohio State who won yesterday. <laughs> uh, but this father was not the violent, strong, mean type. He was just the opposite. Uh, the son wanted a bike from his dad and said, Dad, can I get a bike? He said, yeah, son, but you're going to have to work for it. You have to earn your own money. You have to work your way. But he says, you figure out and uh, save up your money and get your bike. 
So the guy did. But this guy, young sixth grader, decided, how can I make money? So he goes next door to the botanist of Ohio State University. And he has this wonderful garden. So my friend takes a basket and some scissors and he goes over to the neighbor's garden and snip, 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 and fills up this basket full of flowers. And then he takes off down the neighborhood. Ding dong. I'm, I'm raising some money for, I'm going to buy a bicycle. Would you like to buy some fresh cut flowers? Oh, well, yeah, sure, Mike. I'd like to, I'd like to buy some. So they give some money. Next house, ding dong. Hey, I'm trying to get some money for a bike. Would you like to buy some fresh cut flowers? Sure. So he would do this until he ran out of flowers. He'd go back to the garden, snip, 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 snip. Ding dong. Ding dong, snip, 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 ding dong. So he went down, <laughs> went all the way around, and then finally came down to the neighbor's, got to his neighbor's house. Ding dong. My flowers. What are you doing? Uh, and so he grabbed the son by the collar, took him over to the ding dong. And the father opened the door and says, your son has just ripped apart my garden and he's selling the flowers in the neighborhood. And so he got angry. And this father said to this father, you know, you, you need to discipline your kid. I'm just... And the father says, he will be dealt with and shut the door. The father turns to the kid, looks at him, gets down on one knee and says... That's my little business, man. And walks away. Walks away. In two years, the kid was in alcohol, selling alcohol. In four years, he was selling drugs. By high school, he had five cities supplying his drug ring to all the schools and the local community colleges. The father and mother never disciplined their kid. They didn't want to, didn't know how to, and they were weak. From a distant dad, to a violent dad, to a passive dad, we learn things. We learn things growing up from spirits that really do affect us. Now, these thoughts that are going on are not from the Holy Spirit. They're from a different spirit. And it's a spirit that leads us and interferes with our relationship with God. And therefore, you know, when, when, Peter, when Peter, at the time when Jesus was being arrested, uh, Peter, after following Christ for all those years, uh, Peter went to warm his hands on the barrel with all that crowd in the marketplace. And that little girl said, aren't you, Peter, the, aren't you the follower of Christ? I know you are. You're one of his. And Peter says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. How is it that the spirit of Peter would give the words, I'm, no, 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 not me. What happened inside Peter? What was that spirit all about? To deny Christ when Christ really wanted faithfulness. The sheep scattered. But this idea that I am not 
one of his. There's a lot of things in our spirit we say, I am not. I'm not holy. I'm not full of faith. I'm not loving. I'm not willing to forgive. I'm not adequate. I'm not wanted. I'm not sure I'm included. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not prayerful enough. I'm not, I'm not. I'm, and so you hear these spirits that start to influence us. I'm not loved. I'm not sure. I'm not. Now, if you're in that boat, and you are, because the same spirit that's fell from the glory of Christ is the same as I have, that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have difficulty hearing the spirit of God when we hear these other spirits coming in. And that's what I want you to hear. How the spirit of God influences us is that the spirit of God will come in and fill us and address us and knock out those wrong messages. I'm not wanted. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Uh, I've got to show you, give you a reason why I merit the grace. No, you don't. Grace is a gift. I give it to you because I freely love you. You don't have to prove it. Just be loved and enjoy being loved. I can't do that. I can't do that. So a man who grows up as an unloved man, a woman who grows up as an unloved woman, have difficulty believing that God really fully loves them and enjoys them in such a way that Jesus did his father. And therefore, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, what he means there is that the influence of the Spirit, and the analogy is like wine, don't be drunk with the Spirit, but to be drunk with the Spirit means you've got to go out to the liquor store and get some liquor and drink the liquor. Outside influences the inside, Similarly, there's a movement that we have to move towards the fount of living waters so that the Spirit of God would affect us on the inside as there's movement. And then he says, don't be drunk because if you're drunk, you're going to lose that buzz. You're going to have to do it again. Well, similarly, the command to be filled means that there's something that I have to do to not just be filled one time, or two times, or three times, or four times. It's every day, every hour. And so the filling of the Spirit of God is like the alcohol that never leaves. There's an influence, there's a sealing of the Spirit that the Spirit comes to dwell within you. He's there. But your response and sensitivity to the Spirit to let Him influence you in the inner man to strengthen you in the inner man means that you have to be sensitive and listen and hear and follow. All those things have to do with what Paul was saying to the Ephesians. I want you to imitate as Christ would go into the temptation, you too go into the temptation following the Spirit. If you are the Son of Man. Throw yourself off. The question of that demonic spirit to get you off. Well, yes, I am the son of man. 
But it is written, Satan. And so responding to temptation the way Christ would respond to temptation is the way we respond to temptation. If you are following the Spirit. And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you'll end up praying, looking for what the Father is doing. You're, you're seeking to understand your Father, what He's doing inside you, one, and outside you with other people around you. And therefore, in Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am beloved. In Christ, I am adopted. In Christ, I have been baptized. In Christ, I have been resurrected in Christ. In Christ, I've got all the things he talked about, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4, and he's putting me back together. The Spirit of God is the, coming into the workbench of my heart and saying, I want to change you so that you walk with me the way my son walks with me. The Spirit of God then redefines our relationship. You are called. You are saved. You are welcome. You are mine. And therefore, it's not based on your performance. It's based on the Son's gift to invite you in. And you are more than welcome. He redefines our relationship, but he also does it by indwelling us. You know that passage... You know the passage in John 14 where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you? We use that at funerals a lot. But that wasn't a funeral. This was life for the disciples. He said, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to be distant from you in a little while. I'm going to come to you. And my Father is going to come. And I'm going to come. And the Spirit is going to come. And we're going to build our house. And we're going to abide and dwell with you. We will never leave you. Don't worry about that. But he who hears my word and abides in my word, this is the one who loves me. Christ abided in the word of the Spirit. And he abided in his relationship with Christ. And this is the one who loves me. But we will come, and I will send the Holy Spirit as a comforter. By the way, do you know what that word comforter means? It doesn't mean the comfort that we think about comfort. It means the strengthener. And therefore, he's going to strengthen. I, the, one King James translation says, I can do all things through Christ who comforts me. The word strength and comfort means that there's something that the Spirit of God does inside of you that gives you a strong desire that you want to follow Christ. Isn't that wonderful? But he resides within. And as he does, he removes those barriers, those blocks, the blindnesses inside. God, I don't know you very well. I know you don't. And that's okay. Because I'm coming in. And my spirit's going to guide you. Father, I'm afraid. I know you are. But I have not given you the spirit of timidity but a spirit of a sound mind. I'm coming in to deal with those things that are blocking you from seeing me. Because what I want you to understand is the way that Jesus saw the Father. That's what I want you to imitate. As Christ walked with me, that's what I want you to imitate. As beloved kids, I want you to enjoy being loved. And as you have a heart for me, as he is in the world, so also you will be in the world. As you see God love you, and you see God love other people, he will work inside to touch that woundedness. Now, as a Christian, 
here at Cheston Baptist. Many of you have been around the church for a long time. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning, the models that we have. But when Paul is talking about to the Ephesians that there is a maturity, there is a maturity in Christ. There's an experience as you work and walk with Christ that you go through seasons of time and you've had these seasons where you've had a sense of God's closeness and his blessedness. And as Galatians said, Paul said, you guys, you guys would do anything for me. You are so committed to me. But where's that sense of blessedness? You've lost it. You've lost it. You've gone back to the law. Let me ask you, did you receive the Spirit by keeping the law or did you do it by faith? You've lost your focus. You've listening to the wrong spirit. These guys are saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And my spirit says, no, no, no. It's by the grace. Where is that sense of blessing? Who bewitched you? And so if you're paying attention to the wrong spirit, you will lose that sense of blessedness. And you've had that time. You, you know when you've been in the Word and you've read the passage a number of times and all of a sudden, wow, God opens the Word again and you... And you feel drawn into the scripture by the Spirit of God. And you learn things. And you're, and you're filled with devotion. You're filled with song. You've had those times where the word was very warm. And, and just you just couldn't wait to get back into it. You've had those times when you were with people. Where the Spirit of God just seems to really work in a way that you think, this is wonderful. Man, why don't I live this way more often? But to be filled with the Spirit is not that easy, is it? It's not, it's not the standard we talk about. And somehow these spirits get in the way. But the maturing Christian knows that the spirit is always there and will never leave. It's a matter of surrendering and yielding to the spirit. And as alcohol, you drink it and it overcomes you and influences you. And you start to talk in a different way. So the Holy Spirit overcomes our spirit and influences us with peace, with power, with love, with a compassion, with the way Jesus walked in the world so the Spirit will walk in your life and move you. And as a maturing Christian, you've had those experiences. You've had those seasons where prayer was sweet, fellowship was deep. You know what I'm talking about. And you know what I'm talking about when you... Leave the Spirit. And you don't yield. And you don't, you're not filled. Well, how to be filled with the Spirit? Real quickly, and there's a lot, this is a lot, we'll be here till 12 o'clock, but first of all, you know, you must be born again. You can't see the kingdom of heaven without the influence of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus had all this religious knowledge, but he didn't have this knowledge of Christ. And therefore, Luke would talk about, ask, ask him. Ask God the Father to send the Holy Spirit. You can ask the Spirit. You can talk with him because it's the Spirit of Christ. And say, Lord, fill me. It won't be a, a technique thing. It won't be a sensational thing. It'll just be a constant pursuit of a relationship. Draw me. Pull me close to you. Lord, fill me with your Spirit so that I might see you. And then Jesus would get up early in the morning. And before things were distracting him, he would go out to a lonely place and was praying there. Why did he do that? Not because he had to prove that he was a Christian or that he had to 
got busy things to do, therefore I need power to do those. No, no. He says he wanted to spend time with the Father. He delighted in the Father. That's a hard concept for me. But I see Jesus doing it all the time. It may be a hard concept for you. But to ask God to give you the spirit of delight, that you would also delight in him as Christ delighted in the Father. Sir, we would see Jesus. And there, last is in Psalm 40, over and over again through the New Testament. Jesus said, I don't do things on my own initiative, but I do things when I see God lead me. And therefore, waiting on the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord, David said. I waited patiently and I cried, Abba, Father. Well, to think about all of this means is that the Spirit of God comes in and he exchanges the junk for the joy. <laughs> That's a good stuff. And therefore, as the Spirit of God removes this, understand, he never just takes things away. He fills it with his presence. And the Spirit of God will take the gospel of Christ and apply it to your heart. will take the presence of Christ and make you aware of that as you move in prayer and the word with fellowship and with others as you witness for Christ. Isn't that good news? That's what Paul wanted the Ephesians to learn. Did not listen to those old spirits, but listen to the Spirit of Christ. Therefore, as we close, let me lead you in the thinking that what you want to do to imitate Christ is not some religious moral thing, but imitate the way Jesus relates to the Father. And that will give you the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, these words, we ask that you would make reality, that our deeds and our, our destiny would be wrapped up in this relationship with you. Father, thank you that to be in Christ is to be in the fullness of the Spirit. And that's something we want to grow in. So would you help us do that and give us the mind of Christ and fill us with the Spirit, we pray, for your glory and our growth. In Jesus' name, amen.